Welcome back to the program. How often have we witnessed tragic events and then not too long thereafter heard jokes about those events? This struck me many years ago. I remember when the Challenger blew up. It was only several hours later that people had constructed jokes about what had taken place. What it taught me then and what it continually reminds me of is that humor is often the way we can best gauge and understand tragedy. That humor and tragedy are, even as Shakespeare understood, two sides of the very same coin. In the ability to bind the absurdity in life's misfortune with the events themselves, it helps us see the world as it is, not through some reality distortion field. My guest writer and artist Matt Friedman applied this idea to his own life and his own battle with cancer in his book Relatively Indolent But Relentless. Matt Friedman is an artist, writer, and curator. He teaches in the Graduate Fine Arts and Visual Studies program at the University of Pennsylvania and received a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship in Sculpture. It is my pleasure to welcome Matt Friedman here to talk about Relatively Indolent But Relentless. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. What was it that really drove you to to create this journal during the 60 days that you were going through this cancer treatment? Well, it was, like many things, just a kind of a circumstance. I was, it was actually my, my students and colleagues at University of Pennsylvania gave me a notebook as I went off to Boston for treatment and, uh, it occurred to me that if I filled it up while I was going through therapy, I would have a record of of my experience, but I would also have a thing, something I had made. And for an artist, it's a gift. <laughs> Maybe for a writer, for anybody, it's a gift to be able to know what you're going to be doing, where you can find an outlet for the things that are going through your head. And it was especially true when you have something as preoccupying as a as a cancer treatment to fill up. So I, I really I, I really used the book, the experience of filling a notebook with material as an end in itself. I didn't I didn't think so much about what might happen down the road. Happened down the road was sort of a surprise. And talk about what the surprises were, what your preconceptions were about what the treatment was going to be like and, and essentially what you were going to be noting and journaling about and the direction that it took instead. Well, I mean, I think part of me understood that I was probably going to be surprised with what happened to me. Um, but I had a very kind of sketchy idea, as most people do, about what uh, this kind of radiation and, and chemotherapy would be like. I, I assumed it would be arduous, um, and but I didn't really know. It was, sort of a, it was a definitely a kind of a, a voyage into the unknown, and so I, I sort of wanted to keep track, I think, uh, so that I, would, I wouldn't trick myself into assuming that the experience was either more complicated or, or simpler than I, I thought it would be. I, I think what the major surprise I had at a kind of existential level was not um, the kind of confrontation with the medical machinery or even with death. It was the, it was the fact that no matter what you do, you're just it's just you there. You know, you don't actually change what you said in the opening about uh, sort of coping with the absurdity of life's experience with humor. I think resonated with me insofar as I realized that the, the 
the sort of coping mechanisms or the response systems I'd used throughout my life to deal with the world or to understand the world, which is humor and irony and bitterness and ambivalence, were all the things that were in play um, at an almost accelerated level when I was dealing with something like like the cancer treatment. You know, wherever you go, it's just you there. So the same kind of pettiness of spirit that I sometimes detect in myself when I'm dealing with trivial issues, you also find when you're dealing with things that are at a kind of manifest level, immense. Um, and that was that was a surprise, I think. Although I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise. I was thinking this morning as I was writing something else about comparison between going through radiation and, and being mugged, which happened a lot when I grew up in Chicago, and realizing that even in these sort of moments of, of sort of extreme um, emotion, you're still making decisions, you're still trying to cope with the world um, in a kind of normal way, even as it spins out of control. And that, that, was, that was a strange insight, I guess, to have realized that you can't you know, you can't you can't escape yourself even when you should be somehow. There was also the the degree to which it, it takes over your life that that you write about and journal about, and that at the same time it separates you from everybody else in so many respects. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I guess after having said all the things I just said, it was it was true that sort of this sort of descent into this sort of wormhole or of of treatment was a was an extraordinary experience and that I think one I mean one of the things that I noticed in myself this was in the fall of 2012 so there was there were things going on in the world there were the normal crises in the Middle East there was a, a presidential election and then there was Hurricane Sandy um, and I noticed that uh, I was sort of taking a pass on all of that stuff. I was trying to keep up with it, uh, and I, I sort of forced myself to write about it, but at one point I found myself thinking about as things got worse and worse. The, the healthy people, the healthies, were sort of wrecking the world, but that wasn't my problem. I was somehow in this sort of privileged position of just being sick and just thinking about being sick. And then as soon as I saw myself in that position, I found that an uncomfortable position to be in. <laughs> so I had to try to work on that, try to try to reconnect myself to the world, even as I found myself falling away from it. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little more in terms of what you know we hear about so much with respect to various aspects of health. People talk about the mind-body experience. Talk about this connection of being in this world of people that are sick and thinking of yourself that way and separated from, as you talk about, the healthies, and how that impacted how you saw your own situation and how it may have impacted your treatment and your recovery. Well, I mean, uh, my first thought when you asked that question is that I was, even as I was being sick and thinking of myself as in distinction from the healthy people, I was at a, at a kind of tangential way living in a community of sick people. The, you know, the, the Proton Center at Mass General is very busy, and there are people going through it 
all the time. You go there every day. You sit in a room, and everybody who's going through extensive extensive uh, therapy is, you know, over the course of time, developing their own distinctive markings as whatever part of them that has cancer is being radiated. So, you know, somebody's eye turns red, somebody's head turns red, my neck turns red. Um, and what struck me was how 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 stoic everybody was, how how well everybody, at least on the surface, seemed to be uh, responding or coping with this extraordinary situation. And but we were all ordinary people insofar as that goes. I mean, it's hard not to think that any any given population of people, if they had the bad luck to get sick, would probably behave in similar ways. I don't know what people did when they went home. And there were certainly moments when people seemed to be losing it. Uh, but I've, I found a lot of comfort in that, and I think that kind of sense of normalcy <laughs> within this unusual population did help me in my recovery because I kept thinking about how other people had gone through this and a very helpful thing that a friend of mine who'd had cancer said before I began anything was nobody does, nobody handles cancer well and he met a lot of different things by that but I think what he was also saying is don't don't worry about behaving in a proper way you know, there are going to be there are going to be moments when you sort of lose it and moments when you're in control and moments when you have pleasure in life that you've never experienced before because things seem sweeter than you can imagine in moments of despair. And that's all part of our kind of a landscape that um, you're just going to have to explore. And sort of knowing that and knowing that, or, or sort of something you can know intellectually, but sort of experiencing that and, and realizing the truth of that was helpful because it meant sort of never having to feel somehow that I'd fallen off the cliff that I kept looking for. I kept waiting to fall off a cliff because I kept being warned by doctors and other healthcare people that, you know, during the therapy itself, there would, might be a moment when you're unable to go on because things just pile up. And so that was the greatest fear, but since for me that moment never came, I found I was always operating in a, in a sort of a, at a level where I thought I was, in, you know, I, I, I could continue to function. That being said, when I look back at the journal, I, you know, I kept at the time and other things I wrote later, it does seem pretty bleak. So I think one of the one of the gifts I was trying to give my future self by keeping the journal was an accurate record, so that nostalgia or like you know all kinds of rationalizations that take place after an experience wouldn't you know wouldn't wouldn't completely redefine the experience I had when I was sick. This is a moment to moment journal. So if I wrote on October third I didn't know what was gonna happen on October fourth, that was true. And and reading that kind of reminds me of how terrifying the experience really was. And what's the long-term impact of that on the other side? How has it, if it has, changed your worldview coming out the other end? That's a very good question, and I, I don't really know that. I, I, there's a, you know, 
there's plenty of wonderful examples in journal in, in literature of, of characters who, who are both changed by experience and, and are not sort of changed by experience. I, my, my sense is that I've become probably a little bit more um, patient with myself, but on the other hand, I realize as time goes by, you sort of slip back into habits of behavior that you had before, and you continue to have. The, the title of the book, Relatively Influent But Relentless, comes from the, the way that medical literature characterizes this particular cancer I have, which is that it grows comparatively slowly, but it is very hard to stop. And I gravitated to that phrase because I thought it was not just a description of cancer that I have inside me, but the way that I operate in the world at large, that it's, you have to move slowly, but if you move slowly, you have to make sure you don't stop moving or you won't get anything done. And, and I find myself still relatively indolent but relentless <laughs> as I go on. The other aspect, that it's so interesting to see how people respond in these situations, is the public versus private conundrum. The idea that some people let everybody know what's going on and others deal with it in a much more private way. Talk about your own experience in that regard. Well, yeah, that's that's very very true, and I think it, it's it's funny in the year in in the years since I've had therapy, I realized. But something I didn't know, which is that there's an enormous sort of population of people actively blogging and writing about their experiences as a patient with a variety of diseases. So it's certainly something people seem to be doing more than than not. In my case, I guess there are two things at play. One is I'm an artist and, and a writer, and and my orientation towards the world, my sort of training by by circumstance and habit and personality is to turn experience into something that I want to share with other people. And so in a sense, I don't think I could have gone through something as profound as this and not tried to make something out of it. Um, I think that's, (laughs) that's a blessing and a curse of being an artist. At, At some level, I thought, you know, the way to do this is to just focus on the experience and not try to, try to distance yourself by making work out of it because any any work of art uh, by definition is a sort of a fiction. I mean, even by turning my experience into pictures or metaphorical language, I was I was creating a kind of a you know, a kind of a, a third person character who was going through that. Um, and so I guess the most accurate answer to your question is maybe not so much that it was a public-private situation, but it was a an act of sort of personifying an experience as opposed to simply inhabiting it that was important to me. I think it helped me deal with it. It maybe helped me distance it, but it also helped me create a kind of a tangible record that other people could respond to and deal with on their their own terms. The most gratifying part of having produced the book, I think, is hearing from people who Usually it's people who have had relatives or friends who have gone through cancer who it gave them a sense of maybe what you know, their loved ones had, had 
had gone through. People who've gone through it themselves have their own <laughs> have their own truth about it, so they probably don't need me to write about it. If in fact you had to face either this or similar kinds of treatment in the future, how would you face it, or how would you look at it differently? You know, well, I am. I have had to keep dealing with it. The, the, the cancer I have, uh, stage four, and the radiation and chemotherapy I had was very effective for the first couple of sites in my my throat, my head, and neck. The cancer in my lungs uh, is not treatable at this point. Luckily, because of the indolent quality, it you know it grows very slowly. But I've had to I've had to think about being sick now for two years. The, the treatment itself happened after just two months of being sick. So it was very new to me and I was very uh, disoriented, I think. Now a kind of new normal has set in, you know, and I live with this cancer and I, I've returned to almost all my normal activities with it. And so I don't, you know, I, I guess I am waiting for another cliff to, to fall off at some level. You know, I've watched friends die of cancer in the last two years, and I realize that it gets much, much worse at the end than what I'm going through, which is kind of just a massive inconvenience. Um, but I've, I, I would hope, but I can't be sure that you know when I you know, when when things get worse, as they probably will at some point, I will be a lot more comfortable with the idea of of this as a kind of an arc of experience instead of an intrusion on my normal life. This, since this is my normal life, I'm sort of prepared to watch it, watch things happen. And I, you know, a couple of months after I ended the book, I started a new journal and then another journal and another journal. And I figured, why not see what happens? Just keep a, keep a close keep a close eye on myself and, and see what what I what comes what flows through my head as these things happen and that's been a, a kind of a major comfort for me. And finally, what about the metaphor that is always so much a part of, of treatment and dealing with cancer, this idea of waging war, this idea of battling. Talk a little bit about how you saw that. Uh, uh that's true, and it's not something I'm actually not comfortable with. Um, and the more I think about it, the less comfortable I am with it. Even though, even though I probably use it myself every so often, uh, I think cancer is a peculiar disease, which is sort of interwoven in our in, in the way our bodies function. You know, every time a cell divides. You know, mistakes are made, and usually the body cleans it up, but sometimes they don't. I think one of the reasons cancer is hard to cure is that it's it's so it's so it's such an intimate part of our nature, and the idea of a war on cancer, in a sense, is a war on ourselves. And I think, uh, you know, the treatments that we're currently using, uh, you know, burning it out, cutting it out, um, poisoning it, um, are necessary and helpful in the short run, but the, in the long run, working with the body's own system, immune system, um, and other 
environmental circumstances that will make it harder for these mistakes to be made or once made be replicated is more you know, is more hopeful. So maybe the war, <laughs> the war in cancer, will be replaced by a uh, an accommodation which will create a sort of detente. But I think it's also difficult uh, for patients who are sick and dying, and, and you know most people don't make it through cancer in the end, uh, to have to have the burden of of the sort of war mentality, which sort of implies that if you act properly courageously or proactively, somehow you will defeat cancer, or you can even avoid cancer if you live a properly virtuous life. And I, I think that's just not, I don't think it's true, and I don't think it's fair. So in a, in a sense, it's a, it's a difficult position to take. On the other hand, I, you know, I read, you know, when I read people talking about their own war on cancer, I have to assume it gives them comfort and also gives them a kind of a, a structure from which or within which to, to fight their own battle. And see, there's another war metaphor. And I guess I can't I can't can't deny somebody their own their own coping mechanism. Matt Friedman, his journal of his cancer treatment is relatively indolent but relentless. Matt, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.